0: Good morning. I'm so glad that you are with us um, here online and um, making sure that you can hear me. Sorry about that. so glad that you're with us. And um, as I think about uh, just this time, my wife, um, she likes to remind me she's a great keeper of the calendar. So I think this is, she told me this morning, our sixth week of gathering in this way, uh, unable to be together. And I can tell you how much uh, we miss you, how much I I miss seeing your faces. Um, It is one thing to try and preach to a camera, um, but it's even so much more to realize how much I miss seeing you. And um, so just know that I miss you. In fact, what I'd like to do right now, um, just because I do miss seeing you, is kind of check in on some of you. So we're going to go live right now to the Kirkoff family. Candice just jumped over the back of the couch, I think. <laughs> Freaked her out a little bit. Sorry, I just uh, wanted to have a little fun. Love you, Craig. Didn't mean to uh, cause any anxiety in the household there, but uh, we do miss seeing you. And, um, That would be really fun for me to be able to check in on you guys and be able to see your faces as you see my face every week. Um, I do. uh, I I should say, you know, as I get dressed every Sunday morning, I think, man, it'd be nice to be in pajamas. Um, But uh, so glad that you're with us. And if you're a guest with us, we are returning. Um, We have taken a little bit of a break once with this. Uh, virus and everything uh, about our lives was put on pause and changed in so many different ways, Um, we took a break just to really reflect and allow the Psalms to um, comfort us and encourage us. And to teach us, um, you know, the Psalms uh, are written so often, um, it's really just poetic and beautiful words, um, acknowledging the bigness of God. And in times like we're experiencing today and in this season, it's, it's right that we should remember the bigness of God so that our um, momentary trials could become less. And so we spent that time, but um, it's time now, six weeks into this, that we um, get some semblance of back to our normal routine as a church family, which is to work our way through books of the Bible. And so we're going to return back to the book of Ephesians. But because I do know it's been a little bit of a a time since we've opened this book together, Uh, I also know how many of you might be joining us for the first time, uh, either this week or just in the last few weeks, and so you didn't get the sort of the lead up of this entire letter, which is so critical. Um, We are going to uh, do something that I haven't done before. I'm going to go back to a text um, that we've already worked our way through um, that Pastor Kyle read for us at the end of chapter three, Um, and the reason. And that I want to return to that text and, and, and going to work our way through that text is the end of chapter three, that prayer of Paul, in a sense, is a summary of what he's hoped to do through the entirety of these first three chapters. For those of you that have been with us, you'll know that Ephesians, the letter, could be sort of divided into two halves. The first half, chapters one through three, instruct us and tell us everything about who we are because of our union with Christ, because we have been united with Christ in his death, burial and resurrection. We now are new creations as second Corinthians would tell us. And because of this new creation, we now live differently. This is why we've said that our title or sort of subtitle to this study in the book of Ephesians is that we may uh, know and live that you might know who you are, you might know what Christ has done on your behalf and for you, and therefore what he's created in you, and then accordingly live that out. Be um, in sync. Let our lives reflect this identity that we have because of Christ, as we just sang, all because of Christ. So with that in mind, the end of this chapter three is a bit of a summary of this identity um, Teaching. So, I I am going to go back and I'm going to read for us, though, the entirety of the first three chapters. And you will be amazed as you hear that, you're thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be a long sermon. You're going to be amazed how brief and how quickly we can read through three chapters of the Bible, which I hope might inspire you to say, I could do that more often. So, beginning in Ephesians chapter 1, grab a Bible. This won't be on the screen for you. Just grab a Bible and open it up and follow along with me if you can. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Blessed be the reading of God's word. Three chapters which teach us, as Paul explains, the mystery of our union with Christ that in spite of what we know about ourselves, that we were dead in our trespasses, that Christ came and redeemed us. And he ends this chapter, as we said, with this prayer to illustrate and sort of wrap up all that he hopes for the church in Ephesus. Just as I read the first three chapters, I'll tell you that when this letter was delivered, more than likely the entire six chapters of the letter would have been read aloud. That would have been the sermon for the day. And the church would have unpacked these words and reread the letter and gone through and tried to understand what is it that God was teaching them and instructing them to and telling them and all of the truth that was filled with this. And so in the same way, we work our way through books of the Bible. So again, if you're first time with us, we're working our way through and doing a, a short recap this morning of this text. You know, when I was a teenager, I worked for Lowe's, the home improvement store, and um, loved working there. Um, I can uh, still help you around the store if you ever need a guide. They haven't changed much in all these years. But one of the things that has changed is we used to have shirts that were branded shirts. And part of our training or sort of uh, as we went, went through being hired on, they said that, hey, you wear your shirt to work, but when you leave work, you need to take your shirt off don't be going around town in public wearing your employee shirt. Now, I assume that the reason for that rule was that they knew that they had hired teenagers to wear these shirts, and they didn't want a bunch of teenagers walking around acting a fool wearing Lowe's shirts all over town. Um, but it speaks to this idea that there was this identity marker because of the shirt that I wore that everyone in public would know that I was somewhat affiliated with this establishment. And because of my affiliation with this stuff, the company wanted to ensure that the character of the company, those things that were important to it, were displayed properly and not you know, messed up by whatever some kids might get involved in. In the same way, as Christians, the way we live, what we do, how how we navigate our lives should be directly impacted by who we are and by what Christ has done in our lives. And so this first three chapters of this letter, Paul is addressing this situation because in the latter half, he is going to start to give us instructions on how we are to live. What is it supposed to look like? What does the Christian life look like for us as children, as husbands and wives, as church members? How are we to relate to one another? How are we to navigate this world? And if we don't understand who Christ is and what He has done, then we will miss that and we'll make a mistake. And ultimately, unfortunately, we will degrade and, and, and bring harm to the name of Christ. I can tell you that there's few things that grieve me as much as seeing Christians, people who claim the name of Christ, call themselves Christians, who then very publicly and sometimes in loud voices and broadcasts for all the world to see do things that bring down his name. And yes, we are all sinners, and I'm not speaking that in any sort of judgment against anyone individually, but we need to understand that there is a weight to the way we live. There's a calling on our lives to holiness, to mercy and kindness. And we need to be aware of that. So Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and we get to see this. And so this last few verses, verses 14 through 21, summarize, in a sense, these first three chapters, which is why we're spending time on them this morning. Paul began this prayer, if you notice, as I read in chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, and you might remember this, church family, that have been with us for a while, he gets, there's a comma, for this reason, I, comma, Paul, and then he goes off, and he kind of gets on a little bit of a tangent. So back in in 14, he comes back to those words, for this reason, I, I. Now let me get to my prayer. Paul sometimes did that in his train of thought in the way that he, uh, you know, just I think sort of like me sometimes, and I'm not comparing myself to Paul in any ways, but I start to think something and then something else pops in my brain and I take a hard right turn and just have to go explain and talk about that. In the same way, Paul, he's about to voice this prayer and then he realizes, oh, I have something else I need to say that's related to this. But in 14, he returns to this for this reason. He's bowing his knees before the Father in prayer. And the first thing that he says is, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. From the Father. One of the things that we have to realize when we understand who we are and are trying to live out our calling as Christians is that we're not here just because we chose to be here. No one created themselves. No, we are here because the Father, according to His perfect will and plan, has set that this is the time uh, that we should live. This is the place that we, that we should live. And everything, the gift of our lives, is from Him. We celebrate the gift of new life when a baby is born. We get, gather around the family. We visit the hospital. We have showers. and We rejoice. We, have, uh, um, we, we bring our children before the church and dedicate them to the Lord. And we remember in those moments how much of a gift that life is from God. But sadly, I think when we grow up, we forget who gave us life and we begin to be tempted to believe this lie that we are our own authors, that we get to choose and we just, that we're here and we're going to do exactly what we want to do when we remember who we are Created by God given the name and here only because the father has said that we would be here Then we ultimately recognize that we live in submission to his authority My kids know Although they do often strive to or not often but periodically strive to rebel against that There's an authority in our house. I have authority and therefore they they live in submission to that authority How often is submission to the Father's authority, His plan for your life, His purposes for your life, revealed in Christ what He has done for you? Does that direct our daily activities, the way we speak? Yes, even what we post on social media. Are we clear that we are here because the Father has said so? We need to remember that our lives are in God's hands. Perhaps one of the things that this coronavirus pandemic has done is it has reminded us how little we are in control, how much God is needed and required. As we've shared in the last few weeks a couple of times, the search for God and Jesus and so, some of these biblical names and terms on Google has skyrocketed. It, uh, purchases of Bibles, people are realizing, I am not the one who has all the answers. I don't have control. The things that I have put my sort of stock in life in have failed me, and in some sense that is good, that we would be brought to repentance as we remember who God is. That is one of the gifts of this time, and we should recognize it and not miss it. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The first thing that we see in the half of uh, verse 16 is that we are here, and what we are asking God, what Paul is asking God for us uh, uh, to to deliver us, is that we would realize that we are here before his glory. God's glory is what is at stake. I bow my knees before the Father, acknowledging that, that all life comes from Him. And I ask, Paul saying this, I ask you, God, that you would allow this church to realize your glory, that according to the riches of your glory, the church might be strengthened, that everything that we do, there's this line from the Father, from the Father's glory, that is then handed off, delivered to the church, to bring more glory to himself. And it's God's glory that's going to propel us. It's God's glory that's going to move us forward. It's God's glory that's going to direct our path. Again, first acknowledging that we are here, that our lives are in God's hands and are essentially um, just received purely from him. And then secondly, that God's glory is at stake in the way we live. And that we are called to live for his glory. What is the chief end of man? To enjoy God and glorify him forever. That's why God created us. That was the Westminster Confession, by the way. Westminster Catechism, excuse me. But God's glory is what propels us to live out the gospel. So God himself, in order to bring glory to himself, brings us into salvation to give us strength that we might live according to his purpose and bring more glory back to him. It's a cycle. It's the way that God intends things to work, that we would live for his glory. And how do we we then do that? When he says that that his glory might grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner beings, what is he wanting that to, to lay out for us? It's to help us to live and to believe and know the things that we're called to. In the back half of 16, it says that he wants us to be strengthened with power through his spirit. That's through the Holy Spirit that we might have strength and power by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. The first thing he says is that he wants this God's glory to move in our lives, to propel us forward through the power of the spirit. First of all, to give us faith, to believe, and be saved. What 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 do we need to know in this life? What is m- most important? We we're constantly, I, I feel like, searching for answers. There's a reason that Google is a thing. We want to have all of the answers. I I I just kind of kept tabs over the last few hours yesterday. How many times I went to Google for an answer for something. And it was nonstop. How do I do this? I pulled up a recipe. I pulled up a how to fix this problem, how to do these things. And I'm constantly looking to know things. But what do we really need to know? What is required if we're going to live out this calling of God on our lives to bring glory to himself, to have faith? We need to remember who Jesus is. Faith allows us to not have all the answers because we do have the final answer when we have the final answer, when we know that we know that we know the future and our hope in Christ, then we have faith that all of the circumstances of this world, all of the unknowns of this world, can we can just be okay with them. I think about valedictorians. I, I don't know about your classes, but the valedictorian, I don't remember much about our valedictorian. He and I were in Much different places in school. But I do remember that he was very quiet. I I don't know that I maybe had more than one or two conversations with him, and he was known to be very reserved because he had most of the answers. He didn't need to tell the world of all the answers that he had come up with or be loud and boisterous as I tried to overcome my lack of competency with just convincing others that I had some competency. I had to do things a little differently. I think of one of our recent valedictorians here in Melissa, August Greer, who was known to be a man of few words. His graduation speech was one of the greatest I think of that I've heard in recent years because it was hearing him speak, and he is quite funny. But he Because of the knowledge that he had, he didn't have to go around talking all the time. In a strange way, as Christians, we have faith because of the power of the work uh, work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we know the answer. That means we don't have to go around this world grasping at straws, trying to claim as if we've got this figured out, or this figured out, or this figured out, or this figured out. We can rest and say, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything that God is doing. I don't know how God is at work in all of these situations. But what I do know, what I have confidence in, where my faith anchors me to is I do know the future and what it holds for me. And I know the future that it could hold for you if you might put your faith in Christ and be set free from this constant need to have all of the answers. That's what Paul's saying here. That according to the riches of his glory, you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being inside so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. You might have strong faith and confidence that overcomes the circumstances of our lives. He continues, what else do we get as we remember who Christ is and what he has done? What are we, what is Paul asking that we would be filled with? That we might have faith that we also would be rooted and grounded in love. Our lives spring forth from the ground out of love. Think about what gives us our new life in Christ. We say all the time, Romans 6, 4, that we are buried with Christ and raised up to new life in him, union with him and what, is the, what propelled Christ to go to the grave and then take up his life again. It was his love for us. And so Paul wants us to grasp that we are, have our very lives are rooted in Christ's love. And out of his love for us, we have this new life. It's springtime. And I expect all over your yard you have weeds, but also potentially some beautiful things springing up, some new flowers The perennials are coming back and they're growing again. And what Paul is asking and what our hope for our church should be is that the soil which propels our lives is the love of God, that we would spring up out of his love for us, that we would know his love for us, and that that love would then bring that new life to bear for all the world to see. Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. We put our faith in Christ. We don't have to have all of the answers because we don't have to have all of the answers. We know the hope that we have, but here's what we do know. Our lives are founded, grounded, are a result. Everything that we have is because of Christ's love for us, and that's what brings us to life, that raises us up. Not only that we would be rooted and grounded in love, but that we might have the strength to comprehend how great God's love is for us. In order for us to, to, to truly be rooted and grounded in love and for that life to spring up in us and for that to guide our daily lives and the way that we interact with everyone on this world is that we need to have some comprehension of God's love for us. Now, when we think of this, he says that we might have strength. And this is an interesting word choice that Paul would use, that we might have the strength to comprehend. He doesn't say that we might have the wisdom to comprehend or some other way. He says that we may have the strength to comprehend. But so often in Paul's other letters, he particularly in, in the letter to the Corinthians, he references that we are weak. Second Corinthians chapter 12, he says that, that we are made strong in our, in our weakness. We are made strong. In our weakness, we are made strong through Christ. So technically, we are weak, especially when we contrast ourselves to God. We recognize how weak we are, how needy we are, how much like a baby who can do nothing to care for himself is in the mother's and father's arms and hands and requires their love And what Paul is asking for us to be able to do is to have the strength to comprehend that love. See, it takes great strength, but it takes the strength of the Holy Spirit to comprehend the depth of God's love. When we are weak, and perhaps this season, you may have been reminded more than any other season in your entire life, how weak you are. Early on in this this virus pandemic outbreak and the changes that came, one of the boys asked us, have you ever experienced anything like this? And Laurel and I were like, no, no one has. No one on this planet has ever experienced a pandemic, a global pandemic in the way that we are experiencing it now. And so in a sense, as I said, we are all being reminded of how weak we are. But it's in that moment of weakness that we acknowledge and we realize the strength that we garner from our faith in Christ. And so when he says that he wants us to have the strength, it's essentially the Holy Spirit empowered ability because you know how small you are, but to realize through that how big God's love is for you. How big is the love of God for you? Think about that for a moment. Kids often draw the pictures. We have them stored up in a closet. Take homes of how big I love you, mommy and daddy. And moms and dads, we tell our kids, I love you this big, this much. Imagine right now how big the love of God is. Kids, how big is it? Now, let me tell you something. Whatever you envision in that moment, whatever thought you have about how big God's love is for you, it's too small. You can't reach it. That's why we have to have strength to comprehend with all the saints. And what does he try to do? He gives us some physical language of this. The breadth and length and height and depth, referencing creation it, it, that we might be able to see somehow in our minds how big God's love is for us. It's overwhelming. That's why we need the power of the Spirit to grasp that love. And remember, it is that love that we are rooted in, that we are grounded in, that our lives spring forth from that love. He continues, though, and he says he wants us to have the strength to comprehend but then he says in verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is why we say as much as we try to understand, to comprehend, to believe, and we want the, through the power of the Spirit to know God's love for us, we also cannot comprehend it. The love of Christ surpasses knowledge. It is one of the great mysteries of God that we can't understand it. How could we know God? This is what he says when he says, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We know God through Christ. And we know the love of God because because of our faith gifted to us by the Spirit We know the love of God because we know Christ. We can't comprehend God's love. It's too big, it's too massive. It outdoes any length or breadth or height or depth. But we can know Christ. And because we can know Christ, we can get a picture, a glimpse of God's love for us. He is God in the flesh. He came so that we might know Him. He is a visible, tangible experience that we can have. We can know Him. And here's the amazing thing. The world, now as Christ, as we celebrated last week, has rose from the grave and ultimately ascended to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and there He sits He left his Holy Spirit with us and he called us together to form the church, both the global church, but then called us together into local churches. And he says that we are his body empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so this idea of us being rooted and grounded in love and having this comprehension of God's love that we can't really get our arms all around, but we're striving to, and we do that because we can know Christ. Now the world outside of us, those that are not a part of the church, that do not know Christ, that don't know the love of God or try to deny it or have questions about it or wherever they might be, they see and know God through his body, through his church. This is why Ephesians chapter 4 and following, which we're going to jump back to next week, is so important. It is because his witness, the love of God, the knowledge of his love, the knowledge of his grace and mercy are caught up in the fact that the church would live this knowledge out. We must know the love of God. It must propel us. It must guide us. It must direct every day of our lives. And yet, so often, because we forget that we are named in heaven and on earth by the Father, given life by Him, created by Him, called to His Son by the power of His Spirit, because we forget those things, we live our days nearly absent of his power at work in our lives, so often forgetting who God is. We can't live the way that we are called to live. We can't be people rooted and grounded in love if we forget his love for us first, if we don't truly have our minds set on that. And that's what he asks, why he's praying. He's saying, God, let them know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that they might be filled with your fullness, that everything about their lives would be be infiltrated by your work. If you have a glass... You pour water into the glass, guess what can no longer be there? There's no longer air in that glass because the water has taken up the space. And so much like that, we as Christians should be so filled with the love of God, filled with his spirit, filled with the knowledge of who Christ is, that there's no room for anything else. When we are so filled with God that there's not room for the world to creep in worldliness and ungodliness and unholiness. This isn't, by the way, a message or a calling from Paul that says we do all of these things in order to prove who we are in Christ or to prove this. No, it's that we would know it so deeply in our souls. There just isn't any room for anything else. Now, that's a work in progress. That's sanctification. That takes time. But that's who we're called to be, church. And that's why he closes this prayer with verse 20 and 21 because that will not happen outside of God's holy spirit empowered blessing and favor now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think paul saying to himself i am asking god to do something that i know in my own heart is impossible I'm trying to give this church some words to comprehend how much he loves them and to comprehend the calling that they have on their lives because of how much he loves them and to, to do and, and, and live out these things according to who Christ is and what he has done for them. That's an impossibility. And I confess as well as one of your pastors, I pray this prayer and I, I think to myself, I, I, that's an That's an impossibility except for the fact that God is able to raise men from the dead. And because of that, because we know that is true, we can trust that in some miraculous way, and we have years upon years of history of the church where we see God doing this, allowing churches to live these things out, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, according to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do far more than we could ever imagine. As we embark on really looking deeply, and I pray maybe even today considering how we are to live and trying maybe for the first time to get a grasp of how much God loves you the breadth and depth of that love to be filled with his spirit to live that love out and allow that love to be the roots with which your life springs forth he is able to do far more than we could ever ask this verse has been used sometimes to talk about the possessions of this world and things of this world, even within the church. And there's, it's not wrong to ask for help in things, but this verse is really it, what, it, what Paul is asking is that spiritually speaking, we could know what we cannot know outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so let us pray together that we would be that kind of people that we would know that love, that we would live out our lives according to that love so that we might bring glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations, beginning with ours today, forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we need your help. What Paul prayed for this church in Ephesus and what we now ask for you to do in our lives Is not possible if you do not work, if you do not move in us. And so I pray now, Lord, for every person who can hear my voice, that they would know your love. And perhaps this morning, that love would propel them, first of all, to believe, to have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross a work that was required to pay for our sins so that we might be called your sons and daughters, so that we might have a today and eternal relationship with you. You're able to give that gift of faith. We can't do that. I can't, I can't make someone believe. I can't convince them. I cannot argue anyone into the kingdom of God. But thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have the power to tear down every wall around hearts to take out hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh. And so I plead with you to do that this morning. And then for those of us who have been given that faith, would you allow us to grasp the depth of your love for us, Father, proved on that cross? And would that propel us forward? And we pray that you would do far and above in great abundance, more than we could ever ask as we yield our lives to you, not for our glory, not so that our lives would be better, not so our lives would be easier, but so that you would be glorified in this place, so that your name would be made famous. Help us to be forgotten in the name of Jesus to last forever. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. The Lord is good. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.